the beauty of art is it's pre-verbal. And so you might begin with your non-dominant hand in an art experience and all of a sudden see something about a tree in the backyard of your childhood that yeah. it had never played a part in your story until you visually interacted with the memory. Mm. So I love passing the logic, the you know, all of the ways that we script yeah. our stories. I love going around and doing an end run with mm. creativity. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox. I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. I'm your host, Mackenzie Vogt. I'm your host, Nicole Ingram. And I'm your host, Hannah Warren. Hey friends, Nicole here. Today, Lindsay and I sit down with Nashville native, Nita Andrews. Nita is a highly experienced grief and trauma therapist and a total creative force. She has almost four decades of experience in the field, but over the past decade, she has created and developed over 20 modalities for the healing of trauma. She is an artist through and through, and I loved getting to hear firsthand how she approaches her creative process and her practice with almost no limitations. I left our conversation so inspired. It really got me thinking about how I might look at the natural world through a different lens to discover untapped potential. We talked poetry, painting, healing, Joni Mitchell. This conversation was full of so much warmth and hope. I can't wait to bring you into the room with us. Let's dive in to this conversation with Nita Andrews. We're so excited to be here today with Nita Andrews. I have just gotten to encounter Nita in passing mm -hmm. a few times. So I'm excited for the opportunity to dig in and learn more about you and your story and your work. You from afar have been an inspiration to me and I feel like our listeners are going to learn so much. Thank you, Lindsay. I love it. <laughs> um, okay, Nita, you've been a counselor for over 40 years. Is that right? Well, I'm, I am old. Yes, <laughs> I'm that old. I started in 82, okay. so and I took a year or two off in 2007. So there's gaps, yeah. but yeah, I came into this therapy world. It's so, so different now. Yeah. When I, uh, you know, everything was a medical model. Mm -hmm. You had, you know, Minerith Meyer Clinic in Dallas, and everything was either super spiritual or super medical. And yeah. I didn't really feel help Interesting. from either one of those extremes. Yeah. And that's where the beauty of on-site comes in because mm -hmm. it deals with let's do the insides and the outsides yeah. matching. Let's do chemical and uh, emotional sobriety. It, let's do the honest stuff where we really live, yeah. you know, because there is a section of the bell curve that needs the psychiatric sure. inpatient. But I kind of like going in the emotional lane mm. of emotional healing. Was that, what was your entry point then? If you, you're kind of seeing these extremes, these poles, mm -hmm. and did you see sort of the space that you could inhabit or did that kind of develop well, over Well, Claudia time? Black came to town uh, probably like 85 and I got in on one of the very first adult children of alcoholics mm -hmm. conferences in Nashville. And I just felt like I had landed in a place that made sense to me. I'm an adult child. Both of my parents were alcoholics. And I knew these systems uh, in our family were way, way off, mm. but, and I had a certain role that was very distinct, and it was so nice to have somebody 
in the 12-step movement, give yeah. me that, those words for what a family dynamic could be and yeah. how it could be healed. But my main thing when I got out of school, my senior graduate paper was on eating disorders. Mm-hmm. And I was 23. And, you know, who's going to listen to me for marriage counseling, even though I had a little bit of that? Sure. And I'm really, I'm really young. And so (laughs) I thought Vanderbilt. So I went to a lot of sororities and did a lot of small groups and educational hours for the women in the sororities Mm -hmm. on their eating disorders. Because that was right when, you know, anorexia was kind of starting to come into our understanding. Uh, We understood eventually that bulimia is very tied to sexual abuse. And so I, I then got a lot of training in sexual abuse. Yeah. So years and years of training and how to do wounded healing, you know, Mm -hmm. what does it mean to go through that whole intensive process of healing from sexual abuse? Were you an artist already before you began your studies? (laughs) I would. You're in your 20s at this point. I've always been an artist that I can remember. Uh, Photography uh, was one of my minors in college, and so if I— Expressed it in high school, it was calligraphy on top of photographs and making journals for friends. Love it. But then it became pastels, and then it became oils and, you know. New tools. New tools, yeah. I love it. Mm -hmm. You have done some work with us at Milestones Uh with art therapy. Art therapy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tell us about what that's felt like, what that's been like, and just kind of your process and the way you approach clients in residence there. Yeah, I adored that little project I had. Um, the way that I viewed it was um, I had been building these modalities for my intensives that I run, mm-hmm. you know, for trauma. And I had already had six sets of everything. So all I had to do for milestones, because it's a 24-bed facility, is I just had to fill those out, yeah. buy more supplies. I love shopping. Yeah. <laughs> that is so bad, you know. So I just began to take the modalities, to maybe shape them towards, you know, what it would mean to be in your first week of inpatient at yeah. Milestones with trauma. And so I would bring in hula hoops with papers all attached to them, and they would write on the papers and turn the hula hoop and send it to the next person. I just started invent. I'm a very, um, at night, I invent things in my Mm -hmm. sleep. And so I could have, you know, these sets of magnets that you build sculptures of your life story. I made 300 rocks with magnets on the back, and they would do their timeline on a big piece of steel. And then they would hold it up and tell it to the tell group. Story. And yeah. I, I had about, I still have about 70 modules like that that mm-hmm. all ask you to almost get into a pre-verbal mm-hmm. place. Yeah. The beauty of art is it's pre-verbal. Mm-hmm. So you might begin with your non-dominant hand in an art experience and all of a sudden see something about a tree in the backyard of your childhood that it had never played a part in your story until you visually interacted with the memory. Mm -hmm. So I love passing the logic, the, you know, all of the ways that we script our stories. I love going around and doing an end run with Mm -hmm. creativity do you find anything in the physicality of art making that sort of unlocks some things for people? Well, there's, 
different thoughts about that. Some people really believe that when you write with your right hand, it's the most connected to your nerve that mm. goes or your arteries that go straight to your heart. Mm-hmm. And so I think I agree with that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not yeah. a heart surgeon. Yeah. <laughs> have you guys heard that? Have you? I hadn't heard that. Yeah. I remember when I did my Living Centered program, like one of the instructions like for aftercare was to um, write with your non-dominant hand. Right. The, that sort of brought out your inner child. And I thought that was such a it fascinating does. connection. Yeah. Because we began down that road of a teacher standing over us saying, this is manuscript, and wow. then we start obeying yeah. that. Mm. And this is your, you know, your non-dominant hand is your wild child. Mm. So we want to get to that, yeah. you know, if we can. <laughs> As you work with clients uh-huh. and bring art into sort of their purview to start unlocking their story, mm-hmm. what are like some of the barriers that people have? Is it like the performance of like, I want, like it becomes hard to turn off? Yeah, we have the inner critic, unfortunately. And so, you know, I have this, one of my modalities is a big sheet of rice paper that's 40 inches by 30. And I don't know if you've ever seen a mop, a miniature mop that you use to baste barbecue. (laughs) If you're a a big, you know, barbecue person. Well, I get these jugs of India ink, and I have them dip that mop and stand over a railing. And you know the railing at on-site, I mean at Milestones, I've had them stand at the bottom of that railing, right, where it's perfect. And I just let them swing Mm. the black ink on the rice paper. And so once you take some of the performance out of it, this is about your next step of feeling. This is not about showing it to anyone Mm. I'm not going to evaluate it. I'm only going to say, where did the material land in your heart? That's all that matters to me. Yeah. Where does that material speak to you? Not, you know, did you make a Van Gogh or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So. <laughs> and when you're, when you're sort of prepping the different modalities with, with these mm-hmm. clients, you're probably not informing them very much as to what's happening. So do you just sort of say, okay, we're going to do this thing, and you watch it happen, and then afterward we talk about sort of what happened or what it felt yeah. like? or How does that work? I We have two cabins in our backyard, yeah. a he shed and a she shed. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Mine is the art space. I want a she shed. <laughs> you need a she shed. It changes everything. Mm-hmm. But uh, one is really just two chairs for counseling and one little desk and a piano, and then the other is my crazy art space. So they will see actually on their way into counseling that I've chosen, you know, these chalks and and these colors. Uh, I I remember one uh, client was going through a miscarriage and she knew she had miscarried a girl. Mm -hmm. And so I just let her look on the top of the desk and see that we were going to be dealing a lot with that. Yeah. And and we were going to do some letters to her daughter she lost and she had written a song for it. We were going to write some of the lyrics on the page so that she could memorialize this. And yeah. So when she sat down, she already had a hint that mm-hmm. we were dealing in pinks and purples and and letters to her, the child she lost. I don't mind showing them, like, get ready. Yeah, you know, sure. part of you is going to be tapped mm-hmm. into. I've never had anybody not try. Yeah. You know, they might hit a, a trigger point and sure. say, I need to put this down, and we just stop. Of course we stop. Yeah. But generally, people get really excited. Yeah. Like, you got to get to do this. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking about, you're talking about 
art as a means of healing. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there you've got a million modalities, mm-hmm. and there's probably many more that are out there in the mm-hmm. world. You talk about them as a way of sort of healing or creating healing inside a family system. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about the family as like an art project. If that's, I, I don't have the proper language. Mm-hmm. Is that, do you think about family systems as sort of like collaborative work? Oh, you will crack up at this invention. You know how when you play billiards, you have that triangle? Yeah. Well, I, I'm... I've got about nine of them in case I had a huge family <laughs> that came. You never know. You never know. So I had to get, you had to, again, shopping. Yeah. Uh, I had to buy nine. And I put, you know, the three words, observer, uh, perpetrator, and is it victim? Yeah, perpetrator, victim, observer, the Cartman Her. trial, and, or triangle. It is a trial, but it's triangle. <laughs> uh, and I just... Uh, labeled all of those with my Cricut cutter. I made these, you know, panels of labels. So, th- so all of them have. And I've had families like, let's sit and stare at. You've always had the one child that you've named. You've named your black sheep, or mm-hmm. you've labeled them as the delinquent. But let's see if they're the observer, the victim, or the perpetrator in this real in vivo experience. Mm. And so then we start, I ask them to hold the triangle and aim it like I'm, I'm, I'm an observer to a fight. How does that feel? Hold the triangle the other way. I'm the angry one in the fight. How does that feel? And I try to get them talking through the triangulation of the billiard cue things. Yeah. I don't know what they're called. <laughs> I wish I, I think triangles. Like uh, triangles or racks. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. 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 But the amazing thing is, if you really think about it, they're only $2 a piece. They're made <laughs> of plastic. But there they are waiting for us to use. Yeah. <laughs> so, so much potential. Yeah. Yeah. So I just love bringing things from other worlds into my art practice. Yeah. You know, something like billiards into counseling. That's just funny. But I love it. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people that are like listening are are wanting more from their therapy sessions right now. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like <sorry>. that, that <laughs> yeah. a lot of us just go and sit and talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in my experience, like experiential or creativity mm-hmm. or all these things like unlock, I'm not a verbal processor at all. So I need things that unlock yeah what's happening inside me and help me find the words. Mm -hmm. So what advice do you have to people that maybe aren't local that are like looking for ways of like healing that aren't as traditional? Hmm, Great question. One of the books that has helped me the most is called Trauma and the Expressive Arts by Kathy Malchioti. I think if I was, you know, in the middle of Nebraska and my therapist didn't do this type of thing, I probably would have an, a contemplative right about what stuffed animal mm. would represent. Uh, if you saw, you know, I have Barbies of every kind, and I have horses and dogs and cats and stuffed animals of every kind, and I have different blankets that I put over the horse. Sometimes the horse is higher power. Mm. Sometimes it even I even have one that says Savior if they're you know, of a Judeo-Christian ilk. Yeah. And and so I would ask them to start trying to pick the thread up when they last bonded with something that gave them 
security, safety, feeling seen, Mm -hmm. the things that we know about secure attachment. Yeah. I might start there. And the other place I would start is what I use often is a soundtrack. I uh, put painter's tape in a square on the floor, and then I ask them to divide their life into four parts. If they're 40, they'd be first 1 to 10, 10 to 20, 20 to 30, 30 to 40. And I ask them to stand on the tape and and just in a contemplative question say, what song got me through this? Mm -hmm. You know, what lullaby? What, What did my grandmother sing to me? My husband has one where he would fall asleep to his father clinking on the piano. Mm. I've been working on the railroad. Mm. (laughs) And so you just start playing that song and you see him go back to that memory. And and there's a lot of songs in the tumultuous 10 to 20 range that tell the whole story of our family. My song was I'll Fly Away by John Denver because mm. I wanted out of that family system. Wow. You know, I was I, when I left at 17, I didn't ever. I just I drove to college without my parents' involvement, mm-hmm. started college and didn't come home for a year wow. <laughs> once I could get to college. So I, I'll fly away, you know, if I really sit and think, what in the world was I holding in my spirit during mm-hmm. 10 to 20? Mm-hmm. Why did John Denver's old song, I'll fly away, it wasn't the religious I'll fly away, it's it's called yeah. fly away. Yeah. Why did I need that song to yeah. save mm-hmm. me? <laughs> And, and then I can learn, learn my story from that. So music is always available wherever we are. Yeah. And most Walmarts have the animals and the Barbies yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and the blankets. I yeah. mean, you could get a weighted blanket and say, what do I feel under this? You know? Yeah. I hope I answered that no, a little it's bit. Great. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's like the world is our... Prop closet. It kind of is. I have a big prop closet. Just start to get curious about yourself and then pull pull the threads. Uh Uh-huh. Well, I love I love how you don't seem to be scared of limitations, at least in this particular space. But I'm getting (laughs) the sense that that is sort of a a theme of your life. Yeah. My life has um because I wasn't guided much by my Mm. alcoholic parents, my sister and I both have this. We were talking this morning. Uh, we don't feel afraid of any medium oh, because like we were always outdoors, away from the house. We're, that's a better place to be. Yeah. And anything you gave us, we're like, we can figure that out. We can out. do this. Yeah. yeah. We can, you know, rearrange things or bring new elements in and mm. combine them. And she's an interior decorator and owns an art gallery. And so we're both like, well, I never thought to be scared, so I guess I'll... Let's keep it going. Let's, let's keep not, it going. Let's not yeah. start being yeah. afraid now. Yeah, there's no time now. No. So. I am. Um, yeah. As you're describing sort of nature and all mm-hmm. these mediums, right, mm-hmm. these various mediums, I'm thinking of Mary Oliver. I don't know why. Uh-huh. It's a but great I'm bringing person it up to think because about. Yeah. She, she is a great person to think about, uh-huh. but also poetry plays mm-hmm. a part in your, in sort of like your healing modalities. So can you share with us what, what that looks like? Mm-hmm. Well, like milestones even, uh, I had found a great piece of prose about returning to the road of freedom after addiction. So I got this funny black and white tape that has a white line down the middle that you buy for children. So they can like road tape. Road tape, yeah, yeah where yeah. they can do their matchbox cars. Yeah. And this certain piece of writing talked about the um, 
on the other left and right sides of the interstate where you have these swamps of indecision and addiction and poor choices. And how do you get back on the ramp? How Mm -hmm. do you go back on the road? And I just put that tape on the back of the piece of writing. I make everything large. I have an enlarged printer. So everything's 12 by 12. I don't like eight yeah. and a half by 11. Well, you can get like <laughs> down it's and dead to me. Yeah. <laughs> I want bigger things. So I print on a bigger format. And then they flip it over and they see that tape. And I'm like, okay, draw me your swamps. Draw me the on-ramp. Draw me the off-ramp of your addiction. Draw me what's going to sink you down into mm-hmm. kind of the quicksand. Draw me how you're going to get your footing. It, you know, it depends on how much time we have. Yeah. But they'll come back a week later and say, this shaped everything. Mm-hmm. When you're dealing with poetry, of course, you're thinking of the word metaphor. Yeah. And what happens, I'm in a writing class, always perpetually poetry writing class. And my teacher uh, Tuesday said, Whenever you have a very hard, you know, like the death of someone or something that has all this heavy valence of emotion, Mm. use a metaphor because the metaphor can carry it and be a container for it until you're ready to face all of it. Mm. And so the road of freedom, that little art piece, can be their picture of their recovery journey Maybe where they're not ready to talk about it yet. Hmm. It, it's pre-verbal again. I yeah. love trying to think as a client. I spend a lot of time between appointments thinking about my clients, hmm. their tolerance level, what yeah. they could handle, what would shut them down. You know, how do I just love them the best I can? Hmm. You know, the best I can. I love that you bake that into your day. That that's actually I, that's, that's work. That is real holy work. Uh, don't yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's quite that noble. Yeah. Uh, I would say I'm washing dishes while I'm thinking. <laughs> just to be yeah. honest. I, yeah. okay. I'm folding clothes and I'm just saying, gosh, yeah, you know, which modality? I have one modality that is these Halloween is always a good time to buy heavy plastic chains and stuff that scares us to mm-hmm. death. But I have a modality that is graveyards. And I have had people need to put part of their story in the grave. Mm -hmm. And I have a locked little, uh, I guess Mm. it's a makeup box, but it has a key. And it's the place (laughs) they're going to lock things up. And they can take that with them. It's a little $10 box. But I might be thinking, is this the week? To put things to rest. Is this the grave day? You know, it's, you know, I'm just always kind of thinking. I love it. It's funny. I started watching. There's a new show on Apple TV called Shrinking. I I see it. It's really. I thought it was really funny. Yeah. yeah. I like the actors in it. Mm -hmm. So it it pulled me in. There are four episodes or something already when I was watching it. Binged them. Um, Yes. Watched them last night. But the whole premise is sort of about this therapist that gets stuck. Like he he's has stuff going on in his Mm -hmm. life. And so he sort of has a shorter, like, tolerance than normal. Mm -hmm. And so he starts just getting really frustrated at his clients and the lack of progress they're making. And so he (laughs) starts, like, telling them what he thinks they need to do instead of helping walk alongside. And I've always thought, like, I would love to be a therapist. And I'm like, but I would have such a hard time Mm. with people that are stuck and are continually making 
sort of decisions that feel like it's not the healthiest thing for them. Mm-hmm. And so it was funny kind of watching it play out in this guy's story. But it's so cool hearing you talk about sort of all these different creative ways of unlocking that, mm-hmm. that you, you help. It keeps me alive. It keeps you alive. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like having, mm-hmm. you're like, how do I, what the real work is, how do I help them get there mm-hmm. faster, quicker, mm-hmm. you know, like, so, or in their own time. In their own but time. But in, mm-hmm. in a way that they can have the breakthroughs that they need mm-hmm. uh, to really thrive. And so I love that just all the creativity you bring. Hey friends. So earlier in this episode, you heard Nina mention her experience working with our clients at Milestones. And I just want to tell you a little bit more about that. Milestones is our residential longer term in-person trauma healing program that we offer. The truth is when we think about trauma, no one escapes adversity, but some of us have had to endure kind of more than our fair share of pain and hardship and struggle. And sometimes that pain of our past just builds up and kind that interferes with our present lives, leaving us stuck and not really knowing what to do or how to move forward. And so when life feels like that, when it feels like too much, Milestones offers just a place of refuge and a place of healing. Milestones is located on our Cumberland Furnace campus in Tennessee. And what it does is it offers people an opportunity to rest, to reset, and to go back and heal some of the things that may be keeping them stuck. In this 30 to 90 day residential stay, people experience all types of healing modalities, including therapy, individual therapy, group therapy, EMDR, adventure therapy, equine, um, you name it. There is such a holistic view of treatment and healing at Milestones that really offers a people to just reconnect and find safety and stability in their own lives. And so if you or a loved one is just navigating a hard season or maybe is stuck in some pain of their past, milestones might be a place for them or for you to just hold space for that and to allow you to lay down your defenses and really begin to truly heal. So if you think Milestones could support you or a loved one, I encourage you to go to experiencemilestones.com and connect with one of our team members today. But no matter your experience, I just hope that today you believe that healing is possible and it's available for you and it's that's something that you deserve. We'd be so honored to be a part of your journey. I was curious as you were talking about your relationship with your sister, mm-hmm. you both have... Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the, this hard upbringing mm-hmm. and that y'all both seem to be, you know, thriving and your pursuit of mental health as a professional. Was that sort of how you experienced your own healing is like helping dive into it professionally or what was y'all's? Well, I mean, I had to come apart. I have had several come aparts. Yeah, <laughs> me too. My favorite word for the breakdowns yes. are the come, come aparts. I've had yeah. some come aparts. Like I've had some significant come aparts. But actually, my sister, our whole family was predicated on fragmentation, mm-hmm. you know, divorcing, cutting, who loves you more, who are you going to live with after the mm-hmm. divorce, a lot of fragmentation. And we haven't either one of us divorced, but she and I had a fragmentation, a, an emotional divorce for a couple of decades. Wow. Because that's all we knew. Yeah. You know, I'm estranged for my brother now. I haven't spoken to him in years. And that just kind of feels normal for our family. Mm-hmm. And so about 
Mm, three years ago or two years ago, uh, I had cancer and we had uh, these moments of, wow, we're old enough to stop this and change this yeah. and turn this yeah. around. So we had a huge, beautiful reconciliation, and now we talk every other day. And it's, oh, I love that. She's the reciprocal. I mean, the not that's the wrong word. She's the person that is the receptacle of what I went through. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows it as well as she right. knows yeah. it. And so I can get a, you know, old photograph and say, give me the Backstory. We're years and years apart. I was an accident at 41. Uh, and so she had a whole different childhood in some respects mm-hmm. than I did. And so she can tell me the you know, before I was born what it was mm-hmm. like in that house. And that's been such an interesting journey for me too. Mm-hmm. I have a sister that's six years ahead of me. Mm-hmm. Or five years, but sixth grade. So it mm-hmm. felt like we were. Oh, every yeah. time I got into a school, she was graduating. Yeah, she yeah. was gone. <laughs> yeah. That is so interesting. And, yeah. and then as we've dug, you know, as I've done mm-hmm. my work and dug mm-hmm. into my story, like my mom had started working when I was really young, but she was at home when mm-hmm. my sister was mm-hmm. really young. Mm-hmm. And my mom had breast cancer and, you know, and it was like right after I was born. And so like, I wow. think that, and then even there, I think that in raising her, they kind of learned my parents probably overattached more with my sister. And then with me, it was sort of a little more hands off Mm -hmm. just because of stage of life. And it's so interesting now, I think that realizing our dynamics were so different growing up, Mm -hmm. that we had different parents, really. Yeah. But that even talking to her, like you're saying, just unlocks things of like, oh, that's what was happening. I can cry for a day after she tells me one detail because it's that raw and that primal, Mm, you know, it's and good. It's, it's really good. I'll have to tell you my favorite breakthrough in my story. It's a great story. Please tell us. So I was in this uh, very, very dark time, intense time, and I hadn't seen the sky for a year. I mean, I literally not, my therapist kept Mm. saying, You'll know, you'll know where you are when you look up and you Mm. can see something. Mary Oliver couldn't reach me, and I'm a, you know, I read her every day. You know, so I was on the other side of the moon. I was eclipsed away from my soul, and a lot of it had to do with mother hunger, which I teach Uh, and mm -hmm. think and believe a lot in mother hunger. But long story short, I'm driving over I-65 after a very, very hard. (laughs) Um, co-ed group, two-hour session, uh, probably doing some experiential work, that kind of thing. And I just am driving on I-65, heading home, crying about the group. And I was like, I wish I could be mirrored or comforted. I understood Mm kind of what that was. And it just came that my birth late in life made her have to stay in her marriage longer Mm -hmm. because she did not believe in divorce. And so she had her exit with my brother and sister, the Mm -hmm. timeline she knew. And then this accidental pregnancy kind of put the the chains of staying there on her longer. Mm. And I was able to say, it never was me you hated. Mm -hmm. It never was me. It was this circumstance you were in. And from that day on, I saw the sky. I saw the sky (laughs) because I was always internally saying, "Why did you reject me? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm an accident. Why did you tell me every day I was an accident? Mm. I don't need to know that." 
No. You know, you could have prevented me from knowing that. But it really was. She was very angry that I held her to her marriage. Mm. It was a point of pride for her that she didn't leave when I was little. Mm. I wish she had in some yeah. way. Yeah. You, know? yeah. you know, those kids that say, please divorce. I was yeah. one of those. Like please better. stop the madness. <laughs> you know, yeah. you'll be better humans separate, you know. So when you are driving, uh-huh. what do you think, what sparked that? If, I think if you have absolute hunger. Like, mm. I'm going to not make it. Yeah. You know, I'm going to get depressed beyond mm. coming back. If I don't get this attachment, mm. I mean, I, I'm a Christian, so I'd always thought I would be attached to God, but mm-hmm. it wasn't working. Yeah. And actually, poetry came in at that mm. point because the poets will tell you the truth. They will name emotions that are scary to name. And, you know, the Psalms are great for that mm-hmm. with David. He'll name a lot, and that's good. But the poets, I mean, if you saw my 10,000 poems, they're all cataloged with all these emotions mm. and the nuances of emotion. Yeah. I'm so grateful that poets tell the truth. Yeah. I need them. Thinking of Emily Dickinson saying, tell the truth, but tell tell it slant. slant. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She was brilliant at succinct, after great pain, a formal feeling Mm. comes. You know, there's so many. She just helps me as a therapist. (laughs) Yeah. Did you encounter poetry at a very young age or was that like a college kind of, for me, I was an English major and poetry was like my new Bible. (laughs) Yeah, I was an English major as well. And romantic poetry was my forte. But then I thought therapy was just the bee's knees. And so Mm -hmm. I just read psychology books through my master's. and, Mm -hmm. And then you're always as a counselor wanting to grow. So I put it down. But in the greatest thing happened in, oh, let's say 2016, Ruth Lilly, the benefactor of Lilly Drugs and all that, donated $22 million to the Poetry Foundation. Wow. So there they are, and they start cataloging and giving away poems. Mm. That was right when I needed them. Yeah. And wow. so I started pulling those in and cataloging them and knowing that they would be a lifeline for me. Mm. So I have, you know, 30 poems on divorce and 20 poems on uh, death of a loved one or miscarriage or mm. just anything that can yeah. happen. I, I'm always searching for mm. more depth with the poets. Are these out in your she shed? I'm imagining a very analog <laughs> like, yeah, system. Yeah. Oh, I know. Sadly, <laughs> I they, are am they digital? not analog. I have... I don't do analog. I, I build computers and websites, okay. and everything's right. digital. Well, that's <laughs> that's right. a, yeah, that easier to get your hands on. Totally. You'll get, get the poem faster when, you, <laughs> yeah. when someone needs More it. More durable. Yes. Yeah. I guess I'm analog with my uh, my with your art uh, large format printers yeah. and my painting. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that was funny, though. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> In Nita, my head. Nita, for people that have never heard of like the term mother hunger, how would you kind of define that? concept and idea for people. Oh, this is Kelly McDaniel. Read everything she writes. Um, she's a brilliant person that understands mother hunger, but and her book is called Mother Hunger. But I just am a firm believer that this pre-verbal part of us is looking for safety and mirroring, you know, just to know that 
you're not going to be dismissed. There's mm-hmm. no emotional part of you that I'll say, you don't feel that. Mm. But I'll say, I, that makes sense to me. And I'll mirror and I'll make you safe. And then I'll, I'll be a mentor. I'll guide you. I'll take you seriously and say, we don't talk like that, but I'll give you five other options. Which one would you like to do with your friend? And I just, my sister and I talk about, we have no idea what my, our mother was doing because we never got any guidance, mm. really. Where was she? We don't, we can't figure it out. But so I just needed that material and it came right, you know. Yeah. You know, when you need it, the teacher appears, yeah. you know, and I took some things from, I took a class with Kel, not a class, but a workshop with her. And and it, again, it came right at the time when my mother had passed away and I felt emancipated from her story in a great way. And um, I love helping women understand that their longings to be mentored, mm. safe, that they're not crazy. Yeah. And I think that a lot of sexual addiction is spawned through a kind of a circuitous route of mother hunger. Um, there's other addictions that I think if we really understood the broken bond between a mother and a child, we would understand for men as well a lot about their story goes yeah. back to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What are things as the, a mother of a child, <laughs> like what are the things that help sort of really foster that secure attachment and don't leave our child hungering? Well, I'll give you my, in my intensive, I ask the folks that have children to think about a few things. One is no unfinished dreams of yours get on, mm. put on the shoulders of your child. Mm. Uh, one is as a parent, you do everything in your power to keep, if you had two kids, sibling relationships close. You don't ever drive a wedge mm-hmm. between siblings. We have two boys that are best friends. And when I get close to dying, I'm just going to be thrilled that they're best friends. Mm-hmm. And we yeah. we facilitated that. I, I love we that. helped that along a little bit. But I think for secure attachment, it's it's just like any other model of therapy, you really want to never rewrite what it makes them feel sane. Mm. If they say, I walked in and the man across the street was mean to me, and you say, I like him. He's mm. nice. You've just made them feel crazy for having a longing. And so all the time you take them at their word and you Mm. go deeper. What did that feel like for you? Tell me more. You know, you're just a real good sponge for their needs. Mm. Does that ring true? Am I in the ballpark? No, that's so good. It's beautiful. Here's an example. Uh, I've been listening to the biography of Nanette. Uh, Do you know? uh, She's a comedian. Oh, um, Hannah Gadsby. Hannah Gadsby. But it's called Nanette. And... um, her mother is the most shut down. You're, she, she loves her mother, and she writes, you know, yeah. in her biography, she loves her. But every time she says, this is a cut that needs stitches, the mother says, no, it's not. Mm. No, it's not. Everything she needs, no, it's not. She just re- rewrites it away from what yeah. Hannah's feeling. And you go, I understand her. Mm, You understand her depression from that. Yeah. You know, we have to validate that what you're going through makes sense to me. Yeah. I'm not afraid of it. Yeah. Yeah. 
It sounds like you parented your boys like people, like future adults in that way. Yeah, uh, we don't put our emotional weight on them, but they know that we fight and they know how we reconcile. Yeah. And they know that we've wronged them and we've gone to them. We've told them our whole stories. Uh, We're not an alien, you know, like floating above them. Um, You know, we sit and cry after movies. We went to an Italian restaurant after Whale and we wailed, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we just wailed yeah. as a family. So they know how our, our weaknesses, uh, not all of them, I guess, but they know the vast majority of the stuff that we just mm-hmm. ache over, you yeah. know. So Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Fellow mom of littles, two boys. Two boys. I love being a mom of boys. Yeah, we'll take, <laughs> we'll take all the tips I know. we can get. <laughs> Nita, as we sort of wrap mm-hmm. here, we love to ask the question, what is a centering practice that's keeping you grounded? Mm. There's two. We link together and chain together the first few things we hear in the day, and they shape our thoughts. And so um, in the morning, um, I listen to something that is kind of a breathing exercise, kind of a contemplative exercise, And I might jot down a poem that I'm working on or writing to try to say, you know, there's still room for this to improve. I love workshopping poems. Life Mm -hmm. is a workshopping of our lives, our revision of our lives. But at night, Al and I um, turn the lights off and hold hands and listen to this thing called Lectio 365. Mm -hmm. And it just says, you know, day is is done, Monday's over. Um, And it just gives you about eight minutes of winding down. When did you feel supported and loved today? Mm -hmm. When did you have regret about today? It's a little bit of an examination Mm -hmm. of your day. And if I don't fall asleep, (laughs) which has happened plenty of times, Mm -hmm. it just gives you a little tie-in that this day is finished. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it it marks the, the beginning and the end of the day. So those are two practices. That's an app? Uh huh. Lexio three sixty five. It has a Christian bent to it, so yeah. it might not be the you know the cup of tea for everybody, yeah. but it's pretty good. And um, trying to think, I play music while I paint. And what I kind have, of music? <laughs> very <That's>, wild. <laughs> oh, you, yes, got it. I was like picturing you playing the music. No, you know, no, 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 no. If anybody could pull it off, <laughs> it would be you. you. No, but you? then it clicked. Oh, she means she. When they were passing <laughs> out musicality, I wasn't in the row. But I love listening to it. So, yeah. Um, yeah I, what's your, like, what's your favorite? Favorite album? Uh, Right now, I probably listen to Stay Gentle uh, and a couple of songs by Brandi Carlisle on repeat. Good choices. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Her lyrics yeah. amaze me. I've always and been a Joni voice. Mitchell yeah. fan. Mm. Um, so when I want to, you know, she was an art major long. She still sees jo- herself Joni. as an art major. Beautiful painter. A beautiful painter. Yeah. And so I listen to her lyrics more to stay on the cutting edge of trying something I'm afraid of. Because she's a, you know, she's a out there, yeah. you know, foraging a path, a pioneer. Yeah. So she helps me be a pioneer. I love it. <laughs> Joni. Joni. Well, she's <laughs> a gift. Well, thank you so much. Oh, for you're welcome. Sharing so your story fun. with us. Yeah. 
And I can't wait to go to Blick.com <laughs> no. and order you, a lot of weird stuff. I'll tell you the stuff <laughs> that works the best yeah. for for counseling. Yeah, there's some things that are just a waste and some things yeah. really work well. Mm. I'll be glad to give you that. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you for listening today and for committing valuable time to share space with these powerful stories. Make sure you hit subscribe to get all of our inspiring conversations with these incredible people delivered directly to you. And if you found this conversation particularly impactful, consider supporting the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If OnSite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call 1-800-341-7432 or visit onsiteworkshops.com.